0: Today's passage, as we get to it, was a tough one for me, uh, as many of them have been in the Gospel of John, because uh, it's in my face, and uh, I I want to make it always um, applicable and, and contemporary for you and where you are. So, as I pondered those verses, I studied uh, not only my Bible and my commentaries that I have, and Those of you who know, I love to look at the internet and see what somebody else might have said. I came across an article on um, the InterVarsity Press website, and the title got my attention. Ten things that I hate about church and why I go anyway. (laughs) Number one, parking is an ordeal. The best places are for visitors and people who can't walk. Number two, church gives me low blood sugar. It always happens sometime during a meal. Number three, please don't make me stand and greet one another again. Small talk is the introvert's worst nightmare. I knew there would be an amen. Number four, I may or may not like the song choices today. Number five, I hate going alone, but since I'm a pastor's wife, (laughs) my wife did not write this, many of my Sunday mornings are spent solo, either bringing my kids by myself or driving with my husband and then parting ways once we arrive. Number six, why is our church picnic always on the hottest day of the year? The writer said, those are just some of the immature reasons I dislike church. I also have a set of serious disappointments that have happened and can happen at church. Number seven, leaders let me down. Number eight, sermons do not always challenge or interest me. Number nine, sometimes I bring something up that I'm passionate about or concerned about and nothing changes. And number 10, quite often I feel overlooked and misunderstood. She goes on in the article to say, not being involved in local church would be like not showing up at the family Thanksgiving dinner. Although you know you'd rather stay at home in your PJs with your own food, you go to a family dinner, set by a distant relative, make talk about things you don't necessarily want to talk about, perhaps eat the things that you would never eat, But there's just something good about being together. And she said, that's why I go to church. It's because I am a part of a family where my brothers and sisters meet to serve the Lord. I'm a part of them. They're a part of me. And the act of simply going to church pulls me out of my autonomous, self-centered orientation and reminds me that whether or not Sunday morning is a happy family moment, it is where I belong. So all that got me to thinking, if the family of God has hate for worshiping or gathering, imagine the hate the world has for us. Open with me your Bibles to John 15, picking up at verse 18. And we'll read till verse 25. But this is the context so I'll, I'll give you verse 17 from last week. this is my command love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would have loved it would love you as its own. And the word world is cosmos here in Greek and it can it can apply to universe it can apply to all humankind it can apply to those who don't follow Christ and I think that's the third. Example that we're, he's talking about today. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Remember last week? Chosen. Chosen by love, chosen to love. That's why the world hates you, because you're chosen. Remember the words I spoke to you, and he's quoting himself from John 13. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. Interesting he says their law. They hated me without reason. Let's pray. Our Father, as we talk today about hate, Hated, hatred, a terrible word. How many times I found myself guilty of the very thing that contradicts the love that you have extended to me that I am to share with one another. Help us today to see how the world persecutes that which it's afraid of That which tells it to change, that which it doesn't understand, and that which, when they see us claim to be lovers, like you have loved us, they don't see it. And that just amplifies their hate. Let these words speak to our hearts a fresh way today, for I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Haters gonna hate. And I won't try to sing that song for you because I already had one of your deacons sing it for me in my house this week when I said, where did that come from? Anybody know? Taylor Swift. That's as far back as I can see it. I tried to look it up to see if anybody, was it young people who said that? But Taylor Swift's too old for you guys, right? Isn't Taylor Swift like, are you still listening to Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift's okay? Yeah, Whatever. Yeah. But she says in her song, and that's not even the name of the song, is it? The name of the song is Shake It Off, isn't it? She keeps saying, Shake It Off, Shake It Off. You know, if they're going to hate you, and I think she says something about, you know, those who break up, they're going to break up, you know, that kind of thing. But shake it off. And I want to tell you today that Jesus doesn't tell us to shake it off, He tells us to expect it. You can't shake off the hate of the world if you are following what he has you to do. From his birth, Jesus had been hated. King Herod sent out men to kill boys two years and younger in the area that the Magi had suggested that a Savior would be born. Due to his miracles, his ability to meet, to debate, to express the love of the Father, and his claim to be the Son of God, the religious leaders of the day made plans early on in this Gospel of John. We've tried to highlight them over the months of preaching through here, that they were planning to kill Jesus way before we see it happen at the end of this book. Now here in John 15, Jesus tells his followers, if the world hates you, remember... They hated me first. They will hate you for the same reasons, that you are chosen, that you testify to the works of their evil, that you proclaim me, Christ, being the only way to the Father, and people will hate you for that. You will proclaim, if you love him, that he is the true God, and people will hate you for that. And as I searched the different reasons why people hate me, Christians today, these three kept coming over and over. Christians are judgmental. Well, not me. Christians are hypocritical. You know, before I ever took this church, I always said if I get a church after the Air Force, so maybe we. Jim's looking at me like, oh, what are you going to say? Maybe you'll do it. I always wanted to say, FBC, wherever I went, where there's always room for one more hypocrite. And put that on a bumper sticker. Because we love to say the church is full of them. Not, oh, it's not me, but it's got to be some of those other people that took my seat. So, judgmental, hypocritical. And here's the one that kind of surprised me. Christians stink at friendship. They only want to be friends with people like them. And some of the common factors about hate are that people want a scapegoat. They want to blame somebody else. For whatever problem you're dealing with or they're dealing with, when you can blame someone else to generate hate and animosity towards them, Christians become the scapegoat. I mean, the Romans blamed the plagues on Christians. Fear of the unknown is another reason people will hate, because they fear themselves without God, and therefore let's hate the one who claims that they have a way to meet God. And I think people fear threats. Insecurities get the best of them, so it's better to hate something that you feel is a threat, rather than try to understand it. I came across... uh, Another article that talked about hate. Because in my repertoire of sermons of preaching, I don't know that I've preached a lot of sermons about hate. The word is, it's, the Greek word that uh, John uses is kind of like, it's miso. It's kind of like, what well, sounds like misery or type of Japanese soup as well. But I mean, it's it is the word for hate. And it, it is this all-consuming emotion. You know, fill in the blank, despise. Just terrible thoughts about these things or people we hate. But one theologian wrote, As lovers thrive on the presence of the beloved, haters revel in their encounters with the ones that they hate. They confirm confirm to all their dark suspicions. They add fuel to their animosities. And their anticipation makes the hating heart pound. The memory of them can be just as sweet as the young love they once had. And I was talking with Dan about this when he came in. Another uh, sociologist I read this week that when two people hate the same thing, their bond is often stronger than two people who love the same thing. It's like they find unity. They find strength in hating a people and a situation or whatever it might be. Haters are able to lose themselves while lovers find themselves. Don't be a hater. Look at these verses. Haters belong to the world. That's verse 19. Haters persecute those that Jesus loved. That's verse 20. Haters don't know him or his teachings or his teachings Upset them, so therefore they hate him, verse 21. Haters have no excuse for their sin. None of us do, but they hate the fact that their sin has been pointed out, verse 22. Haters hate the Father, verse 23. And haters witness the miracles of Jesus and yet hate him anyway, verse 24. Haters gonna hate. They don't hate one another or the lost. Because lovers got to love. Last week, we read that we are chosen to love. And along with the comfort of love is the discomfort that the world gives in hatred of us. Jesus answers a simple question. Why do they hate you? Because you've been chosen. And I said last week, you've been chosen by love to love. Or out of love to love others. And if you are loving others... The world will hate you and as i reflected on those verses this week i wondered is the church has the church conformed to the world so much that we are known more for hate than we are for love well not first baptist the lotus That's surely that's some of those other churches town. let me say that again because I know I've got some real hot-button issues. I just want to share with you as we think about it, as I thought about it, and if it causes you to think and causes you to hate, remember, he tells us to love. Has the church conformed to the world so much that we find it easier to hate than to love? Let me just give you that question. Don't raise your hands or, think, or answer, but think about it. Is it easier to hate someone or to love someone? When you find that other person that wants to hate them like you want to hate them, it gets pretty easy. So, we as a church, as we protest abortion out of our love for life, but become known as haters, as we call those who are in the midst of an unwanted pregnancy, murderers, I wonder why the church can't be known as a place where people who have a child that they don't want to raise, we would be the home that they take that child and help them find a home for it. We condemn, and I can never get this alphabet straight, but we can condemn the LBGTQ community because of their sin and say it is an abomination, hating both the sin and the sinner. Now, I was taught years ago, You hate the sin and love the sinner, but for so many of us, it's so much easier just to hate. Hate the sin and the sinner, rather than helping those who are confused or disillusioned or disenchanted by the rest of the world when they're searching for love and community. We become, as a church, a major voting block for politicians to romance and spew hate against any other political party that doesn't see eye-to-eye with our vision, rather than being faithful to the one who loved us first. In our own denomination, Southern Baptist Convention, we claim to love the Word of God and interpret it to the point that we exclude or expel anyone who has a slightly different interpretation. Consider this. A woman can attend the same seminary that I attended, be awarded the same degree that I was awarded, and yet be denied the opportunity to do ministry. Okay, now if you're beat up enough. Chuck Swindell, in an in uh, article he wrote for Leadership Magazine... Tells about, and I know i got a couple Marines, there's a Marine up there, I think there's a Marine over there. Maybe some other Marines, they just haven't told me or I haven't them mad enough yet. You know, a Marine, once always. But Swindell said he met an old, I didn't know Swindell had been a Marine, but he said he ran into an old Marine buddy. And he said, to my surprise and happiness, my buddy had become a Christian since getting out of the Marine Corps. He said, you need to understand... I say surprised because he cursed loudly, fought hard, chased women, drank heavily, loved war and weapons, and hated chapel services. Oh, my. He said, a number of months ago, I'd ran into this man, and after we talked a while, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, Chuck, you know, the one thing I miss is the old fellowship. I used to go down to the bar, and I could spill my heart out. I could let my hair down if I had hair. I could sit around and for hours and just talk things out. But I can't find anything like that amongst the church. I don't need a place that I always have to be told about my faults. And somebody preaching at me or quoting a verse to me. I just want somebody to talk to. Swindell says it wasn't a few months later. He said, I read across this profound paragraph. And I, I read a similar thing. And I think years ago I might have even shared a similar Take. I quote The neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit there is to the fellowship that Christ wants us to have in the church. It is an imitation, dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape rather than reality, but it is permissive, accepting, and inclusive in their fellowship. It is unshockable, it is democratic. You can tell people secrets, and they usually don't tell others or even want to. The bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and be known, to love and be loved. And so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. This writer went on to say, With all my heart, I believe that Christ wants His church To be unshockable, a fellowship where people can come in and say, I'm sunk, I'm beat, I've had it. A quality that AA has had for years. Swindell goes on to say, and before you take up arms and (laughs) shoot me or the preacher who reads this, and I don't want to compare our church to a local bar, but he said, here's a list. That I made up of embarrassing situations and how people may or may not be able to handle it. Is your church a place where a woman discovers that her husband is a homosexual? Where in the church could she find someone to help her with her secret? Is your church a place where someone could talk about separation or divorce? Where would they go to find someone to listen? Or perhaps your daughter is pregnant and she's run away for the third time. She's just no longer listening to you. Whom do you tell that to in your church? Maybe you lost your job and it was your fault. You blew it. And there's shame mixed with your unemployment. Who do you tell that to? Financially, you're unwise or maybe you're deep in trouble or maybe another man's wife is an alcoholic or somebody has a horrible biopsy that they find out that it's cancer and the prognosis is not good. Maybe you've had an emotional breakdown. Who can you tell that to in this fellowship of believers? And here's his last line, which I think is powerful. We are the only outfit I know that shoots its wounded. We can become the most severe, con- condemning, judgmental, guilt-giving people on the face of the planet Earth. And we claim it's all in the name of Jesus Christ. And all the while, we don't even know we're doing it. That's the pathetic part of it. Let me turn your attention to this last verse. Jesus says, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. It's a requote. Of two different psalms, whether it be 30, Psalm 35 or Psalm 69, most commentators will say it's from 69, but they're very similar. I think I have that for you. Maybe? Next. Not in there? There you go. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me. The irony is the people who were the interpreters of the law became the fulfillment of prophecy that the Messiah would be persecuted. What does that say about the church? Have we hated others without reason? Better yet, have we loved others without judging I know I've hated at times, and sadly at times I've been a better hater than lover of others. But brothers and sisters in the faith, we must be known for loving, not hating. And some of you will say, well, this whole sermon didn't really apply to this church. It's such a loving church. Well, I think if it were truly a loving church, we couldn't get a room or a place to sit down. So if haters gonna hate and lovers gotta love, that reminded me of one of my favorite movies. When you have three boys and they watch Chris Farley a lot, brother's gotta what? Anybody? Brother's gotta hug, here you go. Brother, I'm gonna have a brother? <laughs> I've always dreamed about having a brother. Speak of the devil. Brother, brother, I'm Paul. You must be Tommy. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers got a hug. Brothers in the faith, we must be known, and sisters in the faith, for loving, not hating. The fact is, we can take a lesson from that short, little, funny video. We need to love like we have been loved. So right now, I'd like for you to stand. I'm going to pray for us. And as the praise team gets ready to sing a a song, Um, if you have a decision to make, you know, perhaps you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now's the time to do so. But maybe there's somebody here in this congregation that you have been hating on. Maybe you need to go and give them a hug. Or maybe there's somebody that, you love, but you just haven't told them that in a long time, and you need to go give them a hug. So if you want to step out during the song, whether it's to respond to the invitation or to respond to the invitation to hug, and tell somebody you love them, now's the time to do so as we sing.